my friend Tim Keller on this series. We're going to talk about the big questions of life. And one of the first big questions is this. What is wrong with this world? You ever thought of that? Usually at work, you get a good, a fun customer, you know, you're like, what is wrong with people in this world? Oh, you've never had that experience, right, Lisa? You've never experienced that. Never, right, never, 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 never. You're like, it's all been wonderful, right? What is wrong with this world? What is wrong with people in this world? Have you felt that? Have you ever asked that? Have you ever just had that feeling in the back of your head, things aren't the way they should be? Have you ever been betrayed, let down? Have you ever had that feeling that things just aren't quite right? And usually when you have that feeling, you feel that about other people, right? Something's not right with them, whoever them might be. And it's a good thing because Jesus tackles this question in John chapters 4 and 3. We're going to look at John chapter 4 first. So follow along with me if you would, right here. There we go. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was in the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to town to buy food. So here's Jesus. He's at a place called, a town called Sychar, in the region of Samaria, which is inside the larger region of Palestine. And this region was called Samaria. The people who lived there were called Samaritans. How many of you have heard of Samaritans? Right? If you have, you may remember that the, the Jews did not like Samaritans. And the reason for that is because the Samaritans used a, uh, a religion of combined Judaism and paganism. It's very similar to what we encounter when we go to Cuba and we encounter a centuria, which is Catholicism mixed with voodoo. And it's a very dark and, and evil thing down there. And so the Jews would encounter this, this mishmash religion in Samaria, and it drove them nuts. Imagine if you had something that you cherished, that you valued, that you loved, and somebody messed with it. Make you upset, wouldn't it? So this is what's going on in Samaria. And because of that, the Jews typically did not talk with Samaritans. And the story gets a little odd at this point because we have Jesus, he's by himself, he's sitting at a well, and this woman comes up to get some water from the well, and the text says it's about noon. And if you were a Middle Eastern reader, you would, your ears would pick up at this point because you're thinking, why is she getting water at noon? Because people in the first century typically did not get water at noon because it's high. You've got to carry it all the way back to your home, so now it's hot and heavy. And the other thing is, you would need that water during the day. So typically, you'd go and get water in the morning, and then you'd use it for the day's cleaning and washing and drinking and cooking. So it's very odd that this woman is here at noon. Why? The text tells us. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, you are a Jew, 
and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So this is an odd encounter for a number of reasons, because this woman is, in all respects, an outsider. She's getting water at noon, so you know there's something fishy about her. Two, and I hate to say this, but she's a female and Jesus is a male, and typically in public, males don't talk to females if they were by themselves, if they weren't formally introduced. So this is odd. And Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So this woman, in a very nice, polite way, is asking Jesus, why are you talking to me? Are you a creeper? That's what's going on. What are you doing? This is completely inappropriate. Jesus has a great answer. He says this. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Not the response she was expecting. And the term living water is crucial. It's Palestine. It's hot. It's dry. It's desert. Water was absolutely critical for survival. We don't have that appreciation in our culture here today, right? We get water wherever we carry it with us. We get it out of the tap. We turn stuff on. There's water right there. You go to a fancy restaurant, and the waiter will ask you, would you like tap water to drink? A fancy French water, right? We have all sorts of water. But there, water was, it was around. We had work to get it. And when you needed it, you really needed it. And there were times when you couldn't get it. And you were literally dying of thirst. And Jesus says, I can give you something that's crucial and as life-giving as water. But here's the trick. It's living water. The woman says this. She says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and Oz did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. You're going to be coming back here tomorrow. About whoever drinks this water, the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This water that Jesus is talking about, it's living water and it's eternal. And that's the key point. Because, how do I put this? Jesus is talking about deep satisfaction, about life-giving happiness, peace, and contentment. The stuff that only God can give. So I want to ask you, what makes you happy? What makes you happy? What will give you a satisfying life? When you lay down at night and you're having trouble falling asleep and you think to yourself, if only I had this, then I could rest and fall asleep. Then my mind won't be running a thousand miles a minute. What is that? And for a lot of us here, when we think of that, whatever that might be, it's external. 
romantic love, satisfying career, politics, social issues, money or security that comes from money. Whatever that is, it's external. And Jesus is telling this woman the exact opposite. What he's saying is this. He's arguing that if you search for anything else, it's going to fail you. It will either enslave you or devastate you. If you search for peace and happiness and contentment and joy from anything else other than Jesus, it will fail you. Either by enslaving you or devastating you. And what I mean by that is that if you search for it and you strive for it and you work for it, it never is enough. It's going to enslave you. And then something worse might happen. You might actually achieve that thing that you're working hard so hard for. And then you realize it's not enough. And then it's going to devastate you. David Foster Wallace, uh, writer, a famous writer, was giving a commencement speech at Kenyon College. And David Foster Wallace uh, was an agnostic, not a Christian. But he said this, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for, for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship power, and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you'll need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. These forms of worship are our unconscious default settings. Everyone has something to live for. But Jesus is arguing if it's not him, it's going to fail you. It will actually enslave you. It will, in Wallace's words, eat you alive. And so Jesus, because he cares for this woman, continues. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. She's still thinking externally, right? Jesus switches her. He says this. Go and call your husband and come back. And the woman said, Look, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, oops, the fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Jesus is, is not being rude here. He's, he's gently telling her and truthfully telling her that what she's searching for, that, that happiness and that contentment and that security that she's looking for in men is eating her alive. It's eating her alive. And she needs a change. She needs something different. And so Jesus uh, invites this complete 
outsider. In the terms of the day and age, uh, this woman is a complete outsider. Now you know why she's getting water at noon, because she won't get water with the other women. They won't accept her. She's not accepted by her own people. She's not accepted by the Jews, Jesus' people. But here's Jesus saying, I care for you. And she can tell because she says this. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. And then she said, later on, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. She's, she's got an inkling of who Jesus is. And so she's throwing out this little bait. When Messiah comes, he'll explain everything. Implied is, are you the one we've been waiting for? Jesus answers this positively. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I, and he uses the words, I am. Which means he had to use the phrase, Yahweh. The divine name for God, for the Jews. The one speaking to you, Yahweh. Is me. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's working hard to make this outsider one of his. That's John chapter 4. We're going to switch to someone different here in John chapter 3. When we read the Bible as it was written in large chunks and not little tiny chunks, we see the connection between this outsider and this man, an insider. The text says this Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night, when no one else could see him, and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. He cuts through the flattery and says, All right, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is confused. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God, not even you, Nicodemus, unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised if I said you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. You can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I speak to you of earthly things, and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And so just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone believes may have eternal life in him. And here we go. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. He is the insider of insiders. He is a man on the Jewish ruling council. He's like a combination of a rabbi and a congressman. But think of congressmen that you actually like. That's Nicodemus. He is an uprighting, upright, standing person in the community. And Jesus said to him, you're just like the woman at the well. 
You're the same spiritual category, both of you. You must be born again. Jesus says to the woman at the well, I can give you living water. I can give you life. And he says to Nicodemus, you need to get a life. Again. And they're in the same category, but for completely different reasons. See, the woman at well, she's looking for love in all the wrong places. She's looking for security. She's looking for peace. She's looking for happiness in the wrong spots. And they will fail her every single time. Nicodemus, he's looking for security right in himself. Oh, I don't need to be born again. I've done pretty good for myself. I've lived a good life. I'm a good person. Ask anyone around here. They'll all tell you. And Jesus says, you know what? Your sin is self-righteousness. And until you get over that, until you confess that, until you lay that at the cross where the one and only Son will give his life, will perish, so that you might not perish, you've got to give it up. And a lot of you already know this. But I'll ask you this question. When life gets hard, when the proverbial poo hits the fan, how many times we're going like a days later and then go, oh, maybe I should pray about this. <laughs> because we've been looking for our Savior and to be helped from means all in our, within our grasp, within our power. And Jesus says, if you're doing that, you also are looking for love in all the wrong places. And so many times we look for our security, we look for our esteem, our identity, and external things, and other people, and other things, and power, money, position, prestige, whatever it might be. Jesus says, you're looking in the wrong spot. Those things will always fail you. They will either enslave you or devastate you. But when you receive Jesus, when you turn back to him as Savior and Lord, he provides the forgiveness you need he provides that, that self-sacrificial love that he wants to give to you. That security that only being loved by the creator of the universe can bring. That hope that only a God of the resurrection can give to you. And that, that peace that only a God who gives a peace that passes all understanding to guard your heart and mind can, can share with you. And he offers this to you. Not because you've earned it, Nicodemus, but because he loves you. He gives it freely to you. Not because you've got to change your life to be good enough to earn it, woman at the well. But because he loves you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, help us to get thirsty. Lord God, um, we remember those times in the Bible when you were thirsty, Lord. You were thirsty with this woman at the well. 
you asked her for a drink, and then you were thirsty on the cross. Where for our sakes, Lord God, you, you hung, you were beaten, you were um, tortured, you were crucified. So that you might give us life. So that we might be born again. And Lord God, we ask that we might turn to you first. We ask, Lord God, that, that your Holy Spirit might work in us, that we might be, uh, be born again and again and again and again. <laughs> so we might turn to you first, Lord, so that we might treat those gifts that you give to us in our lives, other people, their things, money, career, and all those things, Lord, that we might treat them as gifts and not as gods. And Lord God, that we might seek you first, that we might turn to you first, that we might find our self-esteem in you first, that we might find our security and our hope for the future in you first, and not in the things and external things around us. We ask this, Lord, so we might rest more securely in your grace and live more powerfully and confidently in your love, and that that love might overflow to those around us, and that they might ask, what do you have that I don't have? We can say, are you thirsty? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and praise his name.